hold on to your butt. I'm quite surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. So, folks, it was getting too long. It was extending out of my body way too long, so I cut off two inches. Of course, I'm talking about my hair. I'm preparing. All next week, I will not be here. It'll be Replay Central from 6 to 7. I've selected what I think are some pretty good episodes. Like, a Monday show will be on Monday as a replay. It'll be Troy and I talking. I think there's episodes of Baron Coleman with Southern Wood, with Seth Spotlow, with Eric and Brandon God's Gift Ross and all sorts of folks. So it'll be good. It'll be good. But yeah, I decided because of the wedding, well, let's cut off this hair, baby. I'm looking forward to this. And though there are, there's plenty of news to get to, some disturbing news about what's going on with the Chinese-United States trade war that has me really worried, not really about, like, oh, the tariff is going up, and that's a raise in taxes, and it'll increase the cost of goods and affect supply lines, which I actually think is a problem, but maybe that's the cost of negotiating. No, it's something, I think, a little bigger than that, but what my mind is on right now, Troy, is... uh, my best man duties. Yeah? Yeah. Like, in fact, my brother's in town tonight, and so is his fiance, lovely lady Caroline. And after the show, I'm going to run over there and eat some pizza with them and the rest of the family, because it's my brother's birthday. Happy birthday, Will. Hey, happy birthday, Will. Will Bo. But even though he's my younger brother, maybe some siblings, especially brothers, can relate to this, he is probably the more responsible of the two of us. Not probably, he is the more responsible of the two of us. And I can't necessarily put my finger on why. Maybe my own choices. But, to see him not only graduate from college, go to a job that he was paying the bills but he didn't love, and then take a chance and find a new job where he's making a lot more money, he's happy doing it, he's succeeding beyond what I think even he expected. And now he's getting married to this young woman who's in med school, who's amazing. It's just, uh, it's heartwarming, number one. But it's it's like, you go through periods in life where it's, oh, wake up, do the routine. You know. Okay, I'm going to listen to this. Oh, something to wrestle with comes out on Friday middays. I'll listen to that driving home as I go pick up my you know crab dip and steak. And I'll watch the same crap over and over again, go through the same routine. And, it you know, I love my job and what I do. I'm comfortable in it. But it's, at a certain point, it's like, is this all it is? You're just the hamster in the, on the wheel. And then there are moments like what my brother and Caroline are about to embark on uh, that... 
you know, give me pause. And of course, I can't help but think of my mom when all this is going. So I guess my my challenge to myself is when I'm supposed to do the best man speech at the reception is uh, don't cry. <laughs> Are you going to make it emotional? A little the, the bit. The speech itself, the content. I've, I've been looking into this. Of it. Uh, I've been looking into this. I'll make it a little humorous. Not. I'm not trying to go for proper jokes. It's not a stand-up routine. May I make a suggestion? Sure. And yeah. it's very specific to you and Will. Yeah. You got to bring up him shutting off the N64. Yes. Okay. Right? Yes. Because that was a horrible thing. It was traumatizing. Maybe that's why he's more responsible. For folks who didn't know, we used to have these epic knockout, dragout Mario Kart battles. And I'm a little older than him. So when we're playing this, and three years is a big difference when, you know, you're not even teenagers yet. So I would usually beat him. But right as I would be about to cross, because in Mario Kart you have the circuit, so you'd have, you know, four races. And right as I'm about to cross the line and win the whole circuit, win the whole match, so to speak, he would shut it off. By it, I mean the N64 console. Before I could cross the finish line, I wouldn't even have the satisfaction of crossing the finish line. I don't need to see the trophy presentation. Just know I crossed the line. No, he could not abide that. He'd shut it off. We're playing horse one time. You know horse. Yeah. You pick a spot on the driveway. You shoot it through the hoop. So we're playing horse, and I, I think I'd made him a whore at that point. Right. H-O-R. And about to get to S. And I, I nail a shot. And uh, he misses his shot. I start laughing. He walks up and kicks me right in the pills. <laughs> Out of nowhere. And I've yet, my uncle said, I don't think Joey's going to be able to have children. And I've yet to test that proposition. It might very well be. Because of that kick right to the nads, I cannot have children. That and listening to politicians speak for all these years. It's, yeah. it's really shrivel me timbers all the time. I say that every time I hear Pelosi speak. Oh, my God. What is wrong with her? No, seriously, what's wrong with her? She's just got one of those faces made for radio. <sighs> and Joe Biden, too. is Like, Trump has had plenty of work done. Yeah. Like, on his face. Still doesn't look good. I will say... Drudge put out the, like, Donald's got a new look. And was his hair slicked back? Like, well, no, he was at a church service. He wore a hat to the thing. He took the hat off to speak, being respectful. He's obviously still going to keep with the comb over, honestly, because it looks better than the hair slicked back. Yeah. And it's just bizarre. And it has nothing really to do with Trump. It's just bizarre to see an American president in the royal family setting. That's what he was doing today. And I was watching it on TV. It was happening live. It's just weird. Like, they brought up the history, of course, and that stuff's cool. But, like, watching Donald Trump walk, you know, he's got his chest up, alpha walk going on. And there's, like, the the feeble queen. And yet, even though she's kind of hunched over and feeble, she's the more dominant of the two. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm a queen, MFR. Like, don't don't try to big boy me. I'm Plus, the queen. she's a total bamf. Oh, yeah. Oh, you don't want to mess with her. No. She's seen a lot of stuff. Have you read how much she drinks? No. So she has like, she has a cocktail for breakfast, along with breakfast. Hmm. And then she has a cocktail 
some sort of mixed beverage after lunch and then a cocktail like a gin mm. or a martini and then she has like two before bed which doesn't seem like a lot but it's every day it, that seems it, you know <laughs> she can put them down yeah yeah it's in the it's a Churchillian tradition I'm sure you've seen the Churchill drinking list right Oh, he could. He was an alcoholic. Oh, Churchill's drinking habits are—I mean, they're historic. Not just because he was in historic times, but and by the way, if World War II is a historic time, how do we get away with talking about our namby pamby peaceful butts being in historic times? It's like, oh, the '90s were the early aughts. How historic? End of history after the Berlin Wall. No, it's. No. It's another tried and true political trope I'm just tired of hearing. History will judge you. History is watching us. Like, we live in historic times. I'm like, well, yeah, technically everything is history. Yeah. Like, no, we're not living in historic times compared to, you know, Napoleon marching across Europe and failing in Russia. We're not Alexander the Great. We're not Churchill. No. We're not Columbus or Magellan or any of the great explorers. We're five fast tips to lose fat fast. <laughs> That's what we are. <laughs> yes, we are. How to lose we, five we, pounds in a week. We need to be okay with that. Right. Because yeah. in our lifetime, we have had massive historic moments, Joey. Yeah. 9-11 comes Obviously, the biggest one being 9-11. Yeah. We had the Boston bombing. We had the... Well, I guess I can't call it a war. Uh, the the conflict that continues to this day in Iraq, Afghanistan. Well, the whole what Bush called the war on terror. Yeah. And really us, essentially we took the imperial mantle from the Europeans after World War II, from the French and the British in particular. I think it actually started in the early 1800s uh, when we started with the Panama Canal and we started capturing islands in the Pacific. That definitely, it really rams up in the late 1800s. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we get the Monroe Doctrine uh, and Teddy Roosevelt really advances it. It's kind of what China's doing now. Yeah. Um, there, And that's the thing. It's like, what if China goes, you you got the, you know, John Bolton really uh, recently cited it about Venezuela. It's like, the Monroe Doctrine is in effect. Russia and China better stay out of our hemisphere. Okay, John, if that's the rule, you mustache freak. What is the uh, rule I won't, for China? I won't hear you say anything negative about that mustache. That mustache projects more power than JFK. Unfortunately, a it's crisis. attached to a man. If it was just a mustache, I might be converted to his warmongering ways. But it's a man. It's the man that it's attached to that I have an issue with as well, yeah. Joe. You're right, but that mes- mustache is... Fabulous, it is. It is glory. I have to say that. I think that's what Trump calls him. Apparently, the mustache. Really? Yeah, that's apparently his pet nickname for Bolton. Wow. Do you think if he sneezes, everything around the mustache moves except for the mustache? I think so. It's a, it's a stationary. I think mustache. it's solid. Mm-hmm. Like it is a rock that we can build the future of our civilization on. But no, if Bolton and the mustache, if the mustache speaks and says, "Don't mess in our hemisphere." What's to stop China with a straight face going, well, don't mess in our hemisphere? Or Russia going, don't mess around in our near abroad? And there's some people who argue 
we should go in that direction. Don't act like we're the sole superpower. Let's go back to a multipolar world or whatever. But, ah, kind of freaks me out when we do have this sort of, these interconnections, this globally linked. I, and this is the weird conversation about globalism, like nationalism against globalism. I don't like big international plans for like one world government, governing institutions. I, I think that can really strangle freedom and strangle opportunity and a dynamic community that lives together. I do like a global vision, though, in the sense that people of the world are just that, people. They have the same desires pretty much at the end of the day. There are some differences. And then politics and certain ethnic bigotries or religious bigotries sort of get in the way. We start arguing about whose story is correct rather than going, well, your story might be correct, my story might be correct, but we'll trade together at least. And uh, the old ways are coming back. They're sort of upsetting. To my mind, was a good development. The world's becoming more interconnected with trade. It's becoming more in- interconnected with the sharing of culture. And now there's a backlash against it, coming from the United States, coming from China, coming from Russia, all over the place. And I don't know. It's a development I, I saw today. It's what I've long worried about. Um, I was actually doing some house cleaning, and I saw that I talked about this in 2016. Uh, this idea of the Thucydides trap, advanced by Graham Allison at Harvard. And that trap is essentially the idea that when a rising power challenges an established power, most of the time, there's war. Even when both sides, the established power and the rising power, don't want war. And think war would just be wasteful and like you'd be laughed out of the room and suggest we're probably going to go to war with these guys. And yet, most of history, that has been the case. The one big exception was the Cold War. There was the Cold War, but it wasn't a total shooting war between the Soviet Union and the United States. And so what Graham Allison is doing is saying, okay, look at all these instances in history, going all the way back between the competition between Athens and Sparta. And now let's look at who's the biggest geopolitical foe, the rising power to a challenge and establish power of the United States. It's China. Russia is a problem, but it's not like Russia any day soon is going to be a dominant global player. They're more a, a very powerful pest with a lot of nuclear weapons and a fragile regime with a lot of nuclear weapons. And so they use asymmetrical methods. Troy and I were talking uh, off air about how Russia uh, has essentially takes any fault line, any potentially controversial point of view that, in, if not flat out wrong, disinformation, and they would just emphasize it. Let's take all the fault lines in American society and exasperate them. Race, science, religion. Yep. Three main ones. Yep. And then politics. And so Russia's annoying, and Russia's a problem, but the if you're I, Mitt Romney, back when he said in 2012, Russia's our number one geopolitical foe, and Obama said, the 80s are calling, they want their foreign policy back. I think that was a stupid glib answer by Obama. Doesn't look good today, given what's happened, especially in 2016. But even back in 2012, I would have said to Mitt Romney, respectfully, I think Russia's a problem. But the biggest geopolitical foe today, and probably for generations, will be China. What was interesting is back in 2012... Well, okay, I'll say probably back in 2010, 2009, there were two other names on that list, and that was Brazil, 
who has mm. fallen spectacularly for being such a rising economy, and then India, who yeah. can't seem to break free from the shackles of a historic war with Pakistan. And their weird, the the vestiges of their weird caste system, and mm-hmm. it's it's holding them back. I think India, India in many ways is a success story in certain parts of the country, but they need a lot of work. I agree with you. Um, and it it doesn't help that their population is so large, at least in terms of change. Right. Obviously, the more numbers you have, the greater the inertia is going to be. Although, I have this image in my head, and this isn't related to India, but it's an image of the United States staring at Russia, if you were to anthropomorphize them, and they were both caricatures of themselves, like an Uncle Sam and, you know, a bear mm-hmm. with a bum leg. Uh, Uncle Sam looking at the bear and saying, whatever happens, you were always there for me. Then he cuts his throat. Mm. And then we turn to face China. That's the way I kind of want things to go down. Because Russia will always be a problem yeah. until we put them down. We might not be able to keep them down. It's just a matter of what you mean by put them down and how. Because, and this is the thing. Why I mean, did the Cold War not turn into a shooting war? Because of nuclear weapons. We've talked about this. Well, you and I, in yeah, particular. We, we also this. had third world playgrounds that we could... Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah. Sort of get our bloody fantasies out of the way with. Well, George Orwell really foresaw this. That uh, he thought... He really predicted Cold War. And that Cold War adversaries would fight on the periphery, as he put it. Mm-hmm. Usually with people who, you know, brown people. People didn't look like the Caucasians. It's not fair to them. No, it's not. Now, it's not fair to them, but then you look at, I look at their governments and go, well, they're playing the game, too. Yeah. I'm just talking about the average person. And then person. I, I, yeah. I tend to follow, fall into the postmodern trap of reducing all questions. So, does it even matter in the end? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, it does. It's like, well, why is fairness such a big deal? And then it, it eventually, uh, it is in a crucible of thought that boils down to, does anything matter? That's what tends to happen to me when I try and tackle a complex question. Right. And, oh, I get, I get there, too. But it's a, like, as what are we going to do about it? As per Russia, I would like to sanction them into the Black Ages. Hmm. Well, we're on our way there. Yep. We'll see how it works out. And if that means Putin is no longer at the top of that apex or omphalos or keystone or whatever you want to call it then so be it well i think it's murray rothbard who said the state just any state any government is a gang of thieves writ large and when you look at russia it's like well that is literally true Mm -hmm. but i think also you look at most of history that is literally true it's a great line from a kind of a throwaway scene in game of thrones in the last season and i can't say it verbatim um but it's Braun, Sir Braun of the Blackwater. He didn't start as Sir Braun of the Blackwater. He started as some, you know, rough and tumble sellsword who performed very well at the Battle of the Blackwater. So they knighted him and they promised him land. But then, you know, he kind of got screwed over for his lands. The war continued. So he holds two of his friends hostage and goes, Yeah, somebody hired me to kill you guys. But, and I don't have any problem killing you. You and I have a little more of a history. Um,. You know, oh, you, you're not serious. It punches them in the nose. Oh, you broke my nose. I didn't break your nose. How do you know it's bleeding? It's like because I've been breaking noses since I was four years old. I know what it sounds like. 
But then he essentially says, I want to be lord of, like, Highgarden, which is, like, one of the most powerful, prosperous lands and castles in the whole realm of Westeros. And they're like, you, like, you, the sellsword came from nothing? He's like, well, how did anybody become a lord? Like, some hard bastard who's good at killing people became a lord. You kill 100 people, they give you a title. You give, kill 500, they give you a castle. You kill thousands, they make you king. Until that hard guy's sons with their cork-soaking ways forget how they got there in the first place. And so a lot of history, if you look at it, it's like, okay, it's guys who are good at killing people and good at exercising control over others yeah. end up on top. Now, occasionally, those people themselves who conquer and then their progeny their sons and daughters, end up being enlightened, and they carry on a good tradition. And, of course, the stories matter, too. It's more than just the killing and the power. I think that's the biggest response to authoritarian regimes, and they know it, that they can't just be incredibly iron-fisted. They have to also tell a good story. It's why Putin talks this big game to his people. It's why President Xi... Here, let's get to that right now. It's what has me a little bit up in arms. Regarding the tariffs or something? The tariffs, the trade war. Right. I think it it could evolve into something much worse than a trade war and a higher cost of goods. By the way, just sticking on tariffs. How about we'll stick on that, hit this break, I'll come back to what's disturbing me. I'm ready. I saw a meme today where it's like, uh, it's a Spongebob meme where it's Patrick and I can't remember the, the bad guy's name he's talking to. I'd show it to you, you'd know it immediately. He's like... Squid guy? Yeah, so it's like... Squid guy. It's like you... Uh, you think taxes are bad. And it's like Patrick read a Trump ad. like, yes. So you agree tariffs are taxes. Like, yeah. Uh, so you think if you raise tariffs, you're raising taxes. Yeah. And so you support Trump's tariffs? Like, well, it's, it's four-dimensional chess. Yeah, I do. And it's like, ah. Uh, at the end of the day, tariffs are not a tax on the foreign nation you're throwing a tariff on. It's a tax on American businesses and consumers. It messes up supply chains. Ideally, we would have no tariffs. And yes, there are other nations who throw tariffs on the goods we're trying to sell into their nation, and it's hurting their people. And it does rob some Americans of more opportunity to sell more to their people. But I think by slapping a tariff on... The idea that now conservatives are supporting raising taxes in order to make things fair is just... The irony is very rich. Because I've heard for years that you can't raise taxes to make things fair. And I, I tend to agree with that. Like, okay, now we're going to tax the 1% at a greater point. It doesn't really, in my mind, make it fair for me, making 20 thousand dollars a year. It might allow the government to have more money, to do more programs, to do more things. But it doesn't really seem to level the playing field uh, to me. And it's amazing. I think you can find it on Bloomberg, folks. They wrote up a brilliant piece that has an infographic to it. So you just click, keep clicking next. They followed, they took like one final good, like one like auto part that was made in the USA and has stamped made in the USA on it. But they showed how many times that one particular part and all its component parts went across the Mexican border, and then back in the United States, then back to Mexico, then back to the United States, from this factory to that factory, to this factory to that supplier. And it's, 
Is it taxed every time? And, and I don't completely trust these headlines because the Trump administration's like, we're going to put a 5% tariff on Mexico until they stop the problem of illegal migrants coming into the United States. And, like, that's the threat. But I'm, I'm sure, like, you look under the hood, it's like, but we're going to make an exception for this auto manufacturer. And I guess details aren't what people care about. But it's very frustrating to see... So many people buying into more government control. The same front on the antitrust talk now against big tech. Are there problems with Google and Twitter and Facebook? Yes! We should scream from the rooftops those problems and bitch and moan as much as we can in order to get their attention and show them they're about to lose a lot of customers and have a lot of people turn it off. I would have turned it off. Facebook in particular, if I wasn't in this job. Best decision I ever made. Yeah, like, I have a Twitter account. I don't use it that much. I don't hardly ever use it. My PlayStation 4 has a Twitter account. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Uh, just in case I do anything that's particularly dope. <laughs> I'll upload it on there. And then proceed to share it with two people on Snapchat. Aaron and Kyle. There you go. But I don't even play the PS4 anymore because we play on Xbox. And I'm too lazy to set up a Twitter account for my Xbox, but I could... I could do that. But that's probably like three or four steps too many. So, but it, whether it's antitrust with big tech or it's trade with China or any other, India or Korea or Mexico or whatever, the way I view it is there are millions, including the other countries, billions of people out there who are trying to make a life for themselves and realizing, ooh, I can sell to rich people abroad, in particular as rich people in the United States. And... It creates relationships, it creates the sharing of culture, it allows people to understand each other a little more, and, you know, they get money, we get goods, and vice versa. Like, we, it, this idea that because of the trade deficit, they're ripping us off, I'm like, yeah, I have a huge trade deficit with the convenience store down the street, but they didn't just take my money, they took my money when I took an energy drink, and some tobacco, and God knows what. Like some candy bar, because I got a sweet tooth today. Whatever. It, the idea is it's trade for trade, value for value. And yet they end up with what I think is a bunch of paper bills and or a balance in a checking account, some computer somewhere, and we end up with the stuff. Is the stuff always quality? No. But the idea is you have all sorts of people, billions of people with their own interests, their own agendas, and they're developing relationships around the globe. It's a beautiful thing. I'm a Milton Friedman free trader. I think even unilateral free trade is a great thing. And the trend that's happening now is though, well, government, it's not Reagan. Government isn't the solution. Government is the problem. Famous line of Reagan's inauguration speech. Now it's like, well, government's the problem because the right people aren't running it and the deep state's controlling things. So what we need to do now is take over the government and you know, drain the swamp and take on the big companies and take on the big nations of the other, all the while having the government control more. Now Trump's a, a confused, he sends all sorts of mixed signals. He has cut taxes, he's cut back on regulations. The one thing that made me go, well, maybe he's on to something with trade is at the summit in Canada where he looked at all the leaders and said, shouldn't we consider no tariffs? And they were all like, huh? So if that's his end game, I'm happy with it. The fact is Larry Kudlow by his side, fine. I like Larry Kudlow. He's cited Milton Friedman just like me on this issue. But it's beyond trade. 
It's beyond trade because historically speaking, when you put up, you get into trade wars, shooting wars tend to happen. I don't think there's going to be a shooting war anytime soon with China, but it could be something much worse. And I have some things happening in China to show you what I mean. But that'll be after the break. Quick preview, though. Are you talking about that uh, UTV that has suicide drones? No, I'm talking about uh, a long march. Oh, okay. And not the month of March. A long, long march. That's a, it's an important term for the communists in China. Yeah. And they're meaning it more metaphorically now. It's not just a landmark. Anyway, we'll get into that. It's kind of disturbing. It's like, oh, we're kind of falling into the Thucydides trap. And we could end up with a lot of people impoverished, lives ruined, all because governments want to control their population. Ah! Pisses me off. Yeah, that was that was the saddest thumbs up I've ever seen, Joey. Gang of thieves writ large. It's not just in Russia. It's all over the world. Some gangs, I guess, are better than other. It's Timothy Leary, you know, the whole psychologist LSD guy? Mm-hmm. He said, I live in an open-air prison in the United States. Now, it's the finest open-air prison in the world, maybe in human history, but it is an open-air prison. And I could go to another one, it'd be a lot worse. But every aspect... Well, let's say the very important aspects of my life are controlled. I have free reign as long as I don't, you know, break the rules, and the rules become more plentiful by the day. And, you know, we do the best we can. I, in many ways, am a patriot for the ideals of this nation, and I even turn into a flag-waving patriot when I start talking about things like World War II and the heroic actions of people undertaken. Or even talking about the interesting personal stories in World War I and the Civil War and what people went through in Vietnam and so many other instances. I'm not one of these callous people that looks at somebody who you know, puts his life on the line and goes, oh, that's not me. You're, you're fighting for the wrong ideal. No. I mean, I, if some soldier wants to talk about how war is a racket, like Smithley but- Butler fine. There are some people who are disillusioned, where I signed up to defend the ideals of the country and people's freedoms, and I'm here just guarding another freaking caravan in Afghanistan. I'm guarding a poppy field. I can see why you're disillusioned, and I want to talk to you. Yep. But also, there are people that do incredible, heroic things. Anybody who puts their life on the line, I think, deserves a bit of respect. Mm-hmm. Maybe more than a bit. So, let's hit this break. And as we do, I want to tell folks that this show is brought to you by Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. That guy is awesome. Not only does he love pizza, beer, good-looking women, he is also a fantastic real estate agent. So if you need a real estate agent, think Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. He can help you buy a home, sell that home you already have, or maybe you want to buy a place and rent it out. Get some extra income coming in. The Goodson Group, along with Eddie Bader, can help you manage that property. Eddie changed his own life by investing in real estate and learning the ropes of real estate. And he's helped change other people's lives. I think it even happened this weekend, helping people close on several deals. He opened my eyes to all the opportunities going on here in the River Region. A lot of things happening in downtown Montgomery in particular with new investment coming in. There are some great buying opportunities at every price point. People of all different incomes and different income levels. Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group can help you out. So if you're looking for a real estate agent, maybe it's not even today, but you're like, oh, I'm going to need one down the road. Think Eddie Bader, 322-0662. Again, that number for Eddie Bader, 322 322- 0662. And with that, we have this break. We'll be right back.
part. Clark. About a little less than a month ago, folks, a 10-minute segment ran on Chinese state television. The segment showed cadet trainees of the People's Liberation Army of China scrambling over towering walls, dragging enormous tires, crawling through mud, and shouting motivational slogans as President Xi Jinping exhorted the academy to be ready to fight and win a modern war. The trade war with the United States went unmentioned. But the message was clear. Beijing is ready not only for a protracted battle over trade, but also for what could be a much larger geopolitical struggle. Chinese media coverage of the trade war turned sharply nationalistic. References to national dignity and the willingness of the Chinese people to suffer any burden in the confrontation with the U.S. underscore how bad the situation has become. Some analysts have warned that a Cold War 2.0 has already started in the wake of the break in U.S.-China trade talks and Washington's move to hike tariffs on $200 billion in Chinese goods to 25% from 10%. That's essentially 25% on everything China sells to the United States. Pretty much. And also ban U.S. suppliers from selling to Chinese tech giant Huawei without government permission. Huawei, the world's biggest telecommunications manufacturer, is dependent on U.S. chips and software. A U.S. Department of Commerce decision Tuesday allowed component sales until August the 19th and was seen less as a reprieve for Huawei than a cushion for American companies that do business with Huawei. The province that she toured about last month. This is May 23rd. Jiangxi uh, carries potent symbolism in China, this region does. It was the starting point for the Red Army's long march in 1934, a storied odyssey in the history of the Communist Party, leading to the ascent of Mao Zedong. And it often, not Mao Zedong, Mao Zedong, I'm going to call him Mao Zedong anyway. And is often used in propaganda to urge Chinese people to show grit and endurance. She told the cadets that their officer and their officers that China was facing a new long march, signaling that Chinese authorities are preparing for a protracted war and increasing military and geopolitical rivalry between the world's two largest economies. We are now embarking on a new long march and we must start all over again, she said to rapturous applause. A day earlier, she had visited a firm that produces rare earth elements, which are crucial in high-tech manufacturing, provoking speculation that China, the world's dominant source of rare earth metals, could ban their export to the U.S. should the trade war worsen. Here's the thing. We're talking about trade, and this is going to keep going back and forth, and it's only gotten worse in the last since May the 23rd. But the, the propaganda coming out of China has turned from Trump's a madman, Trump doesn't know what he's doing, it being focused on Trump, being focused not only in the United States as a whole, but 
turning inward, becoming, again, I know nationalism is very much in vogue around these parts and in the United States. But Chinese, this is the thing about nationalism, it comes in all sorts of different flavors and brands. And Chinese nationalism really does rely on this idea that China is, and they are, this thousand-year-old, thousands of years old civilization. The sleeping dragon, so to speak. And they were... The what the century of desolation or something like that and shame, where these European imperialist powers came in and raped our country. And some, I mean, it, there's a grain of truth to it, especially in the case of the Brits. They did some pretty awful things. Well, because a British, I think the story goes, a British officer was killed or a citizen was killed, and so they went in and sacked a famous Chinese temple, took all sorts of stuff. Like there's some that still sit in museums in Britain. Chinese still remember that. And this is what they're teaching their kids in school. Let's just say where this is going, I don't know how it ends in a pretty manner. For instance, the state-owned People's Daily warned that U.S. actions threatened to return the relationship between the two countries to a barbaric era. An editorial by the state-run, well, it's all really state-run, New China News Agency. Including Huawei, by the way. Yes, that was weird alliteration. They said the United States has been using trade bullying, the logic of gangsters, the law of the jungle, and that Washington had disgraced itself internationally. A front page editorial in the People's Daily said that Chinese, the Chinese people were at one in their conviction to protect the interest of our people and the dignity of the nation. Now, we could go on and on and on, and we could talk about the tech that's being developed. You were just telling me off air, Troy, that about these, it's like a tank is the mothership, right? It's it's more like an APC, but it, yeah, it's armored like a tank. Okay. And it has drones that can swarm, uh, but they're suicide drones. So, let's say you're, gosh, what is it? You're in a theater of war, and you're on site with this APC and there's specific locations that you need to take out, you would no longer need a Predator drone to do so. You would instead launch these swarm drones from this APC, and they would simply destroy themselves. Now, and I'd imagine we, the United States, is what I mean by we, the United States military and government as something like that, if not better. Like, I've heard news they now have... Well, the use of the, use of the Predator drones eliminates the need for any personnel to be right. in that location, although, obviously, a cleanup crew is sort of necessary in some situations. Well, and they've long... The U.S. military has long had drones that leave, say, from a C-130, and then they're mm -hmm. collected with nets or whatever. Afterwards, we now apparently have drones that can, say, go from an F-35 and then redock in air with the mothership. Um, incredible stuff. And we could get into who's more of a has the military edge. I think it's still clearly United States, and will be the United States for some time. Um, but it's again, it's the change in tone, and that's just propaganda rags from the Chinese. When I hear the Chinese people are one against this great affront against our great nation, I'm like, well, that that sounds like you're trying to talk yourself up. Like it sounds like there are a lot of people and the billions of people in China, of the billions who aren't happy about the situation. There's a reason you're installing that social credit score system. And How much does your conviction cost, Joey? Right. For us, it would be valued in money. For mm -hmm. the Chinese, it could be as simple as something like a social score. Right. 
Right. And but I wonder under that layer of authoritarian control, how many people really are dissatisfied in China and would not shed a tear if they saw their current rulers upended. Given the size of China, not to mention the population, I would imagine the west coast of the country or not not west coast, but the west of the country feels a lot different than the east coast oh, of the yeah, country. Oh, more inland. Or yeah. the north or the south. Mm-hmm. Just like in the United States of America because China is a very large country. Massive, yes. But the here's another example. This is from today. It's a write-up in the LA Times. And they're talking about how this trade war is turning into something more. Uh, here's an example they gave. A private group of American economists and trade experts, long-standing experience in China, traveled to Beijing, expecting their usual technical kind of give-and-take uh, with Chinese government officials. Instead of that technical give and take, which is usually always respectful and, you know, just a bunch of nerds sitting around figuring this thing out. Instead, a member of the Chinese Politburo harangued them for almost an hour, describing the U.S.-China relationship as a clash of civilization and boasting that China's government-controlled system was far superior to the quote-unquote Mediterranean culture of the West with its its internal divisions and aggressive foreign policy. So, that's just one example, one little anecdote. But it's like, oh, we got a bunch of essentially nerds who are really gifted in trade and whatnot, and they're going to have a conference. Like, I've been to these things. It's not light your hair on fire sort of stuff. It's economists, man. Like, they... I love economists, but it's not exactly like, oh, this is entertaining. This is the crunchiest of granolas, my friend. Yeah, yeah. And so, for one of those guys to then come out and go, no, we're in a civilizational clash, and we're going to beat you. Like, that's Cold War talk. It really is. But here's the thing. Last time we got in a Cold War with the Soviet Union, this leads me back, I was talking earlier on there about Chernobyl. The whole point of this new docu-drama series on HBO is that lies cost a lot. That an authoritarian regime needs to keep a narrative in, in place just as much as their power. The, the power is really backed up by the narrative they impose on other people. And it gets me thinking about this idea, what was the biggest weakness of the Nazis? Because they had incredible technology. Hell, you look up Operation Paperclip, we stole a lot of their scientists. Yeah. They were, and there's a reason we still have like hundreds of Hitler documentaries and, you know, Nazi weapons and like, it's just, it was like the enemy Uberalis, but it was, they were also brilliant people in a way, just evil. But that's the thing. Their evil ideology was their biggest weakness. Because it was about ideological purity, not about ability. It wasn't the best man gets the job. It's that the guy who has friends, and I'm sure, you know, nepotism and stuff happens in the United States. Of course. And it happens in China, and it happens, it's humans. This is how human organizations work. But when it really is you're staying true to an ideology, I think that can weaken you if that ideology is not flexible enough. It's actually one thing when Khrushchev was thinking about, oh, we're going to take on the, I think he toured the United States. When he met with senators, he was really disappointed that they weren't like these true blue-blooded, like, capitalists. They're like, no, we kind of got a mixed economy, and we do this or that. He he really wanted that showdown against laissez-faire, against communism. 
like centrally planned controlled economy against that, you know, private property. And he found, well, in the U.S., they're kind of pragmatic. And we, to this day, are pretty pragmatic. I think the Chinese, more so than the Soviet Union ever was, or North Korea is today, or whatever, are pretty pragmatic. But I wonder, how long can they continue to control the message, control their media, control their population with social credit scores and all others? I mean, these, have you seen the, uh, the God's Eye cameras? I saw a picture that they they put out on the internet. It can it's essentially sitting, you know, thousands of feet in the air above the city, and like takes a picture, a three sixty picture of the whole city, and then it's so high resolution you can zoom in to like a person's face on the ground, hmm. and then attach that with social credit analysis. Like, oh, that person's pulled over right now. Let's see what's going on there. What's their history? Who do they work with? What, you know, have they ever gotten in trouble with the law before? Did they pay their, their dues in some way? What, are, what, what have they said online? And so you've got mass surveillance in a very detailed manner, along with metadata and data crunching in general. Combine that with artificial intelligence... And also the fact that everybody is interfacing with technology today, even outside of China, particularly using Huawei. I mean, Google had a bunch, didn't a lot of their stuff go through Huawei for a while? Right. I don't think they do anymore, obviously. But, well, and the wonder is if the U.S. makes good on their threat by August 19th, you can't sell stuff to Huawei anymore. How does Huawei survive without the latest, say, Android updates? It leaves them very vulnerable, and not unless I mean not unless China just decides to support them, and they suddenly become that's what they'll do. They become state owned rather than whatever this facade of not being state owned is now. Well, and China, it's already started. They're leading boycotts, like high up officials of Apple in China. So it's going to be essentially they've described it as an economic iron curtain. That that's where we're going now. One Chinese official, there are glimmers of hope, and I hope this is where it goes, where one Chinese official is like, the whole goal of trade negotiations should be a reduction or no tariffs. Yes, that should be the point. Mm-hmm. Let people freely trade. But then are you going to give your people more freedom? That's not a topic for trade negotiations, but it is really a, a big intellectual bet. Maybe I'm being too ideological here and holding too hard fast to it. But, but I, your your ideology is not reductive. No, but am, this guy said our centrally control. It's a clash of civilizations. Our centrally controlled model is superior to your Mediterranean model, as he put it. Essentially, talking about Athens and Rome. I think the the Mediterranean style model, to use their language, is superior. I think all that internal division, all the bitching and moaning that we do, even when people like the Russians and the Chinese are exploiting those fissures and those fault lines, that at the end of the day, what that leads to is, okay, we're wrong for a while, but then we figure out the right answer. Because we have the freedom to speak as we wish and to say a lot of terrible things, then the best ideas, the theory goes, rise to the top. And eventually we go, oh yeah, that's that's the correct way. Is that you put Freedom, especially the freedom to think and speak and share ideas, correct, you know, the best ideas, allows your superiority. 
Right. And I would bet that's exactly what goes on in the higher-up levels in China. The average citizen isn't allowed it, but I'm sure there are people that speak freely. And if President Xi and continues to crack down and try to control his government even more, that he's removing any dissenting voices, then I think that will hurt them. I think the totalitarian model of you better hew to the ideology or I'll kill you or lock you up or shame you essentially removes a lot of talent and a lot of ideas and ideas that are crucial to survival from the the, the chemistry. It removes it from the, the formula. And it's not a good way for a long-term success. We'll see. I think also this latest economic boom is not going to last. It's just not. And there are, there are some crack-up signs in the bond market and, and things going on in manufacturing that maybe we're Again, we've built an economy up based on a lot of fast and loose money and credit created out of thin air, and it's not going to end well. You don't have an economy based on sound money. It's very prone to busting. You might grow back out of it, and that's the history of the U.S. in the 20th century, but there will be a reckoning, so to speak, and hopefully it won't be as as terrible as 2008. But I don't know. I saw this today with China. And the idea that this is going from a contentious trade war negotiations to, well, this is a clash of civilizations. And oh, look at all our new military hardware. And remember, people of China, our history, where we were shamed by the people of the West and the imperial powers. And look at these decadent people who don't even agree with one another. Uh, it, it should give us pause, and we should be clear-eyed. I don't think the clash of civilizations is inevitable. I don't think the Thucydides trap is inevitable. But uh, we shouldn't fall into, we're American nationalists, they're Chinese nationalists, let's just go at it, baby. It's not a wrestling match, folks. It's the lives of billions at stake. You know, we went through that whole thing, and we didn't even mention the, I can't pronounce it very well, the Uyghur people. Oh, the the Uyghur Muslims in yeah. China. Yeah. So we've got concentration camps. If we're supposed to remember the shame, imagining that I am a Chinese citizen, if I'm supposed to remember a hundred years of shame for which I wasn't alive for, should I just casually ignore the fact that they're massacring a population of people, my fellow countrymen, if I'm Chinese, or if you know it? That's you what think they're they doing. Don't? I think there are a lot of people who don't even know what's happening. Yeah. Not to the degree they might hear whispers here or there. I would. It's probably. It's certainly more vocal in the West. The fact that China's right. doing that to those people. And so I always come back to this. Maybe the solution to issues in North Korea and China is smuggling in ideas, smuggling in technology, smuggling in information. Not explicit propaganda to change their mind, but just information. Mm-hmm. Like here's what's actually going on in the world. Like, don't give in to the government's competing propaganda. Where it's the U.S. government, the Chinese government.